We are continuing in this series that we've called The Wisdom of Kings. Life lessons from the best and worst of Old Testament kings. Today is one of the better ones, King Jehoshaphat. Uh, if you were with us last Sunday, you may recall that we met two kings, Asa and Manasseh. And uh, Asa was the guy who started well and finished poorly. And Manasseh was the one who started out wickedly. Remember, he's the guy who set his children on fire. That's how bad he was. Okay, that's Manasseh. And yet he ended righteously. And uh, we decided that how you finish is more important than how you start. But amazingly, God allows, God loves U-turns in your life. When we're headed in the wrong direction, we could actually turn things around. That's just unbelievable. Not everybody lets you do that, but God loves that. Well, today you're going to meet King Jehoshaphat. Now, not only is his name the most fun to say uh, of all the kings, um, this is the king who, um, he's the son of Asa. So that was the guy that ended poorly, had that foot disease and died miserable and proud, right? Jehoshaphat proves a point that we made last week that every generation has the opportunity to make a fresh start. Every generation gets to, gets to start fresh with God. And, um, so we're going to meet Jehoshaphat. He's covered in several chapters, both in the book of um, Kings, but also in Second Chronicles. So we're going to be in Second Chronicles today and uh, his, Story runs from uh, chapter 17 on uh, through about chapter 20, but um, I'm going to run you through portions of all those chapters as we try to pick up some life lessons from Jehoshaphat, or I may just call him Jephat to keep it short. <laughs> Let me know when you've found Second Chronicles chapter 17. It's in the Old Testament, deep in the Old Testament. Um, you know, you never need to feel bad about using this thing in the front called the table of contents. It's there for a reason. It tells you where all the pages are. Let's never feel bad about that. Big numbers are the chapters. Small numbers are the verses. So we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. And I'm just going to pick it up at verse 3. We've, we've just been introduced to him. Son of Asa. Jehoshaphat comes to the throne. Verse 3 of chapter 17. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and did not worship the images of Baal. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. Remember, northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah and all the people of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat. So he became very wealthy and highly esteemed. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. He removed the pagan shrines and Asherah poles from Judah. Now, in the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat sent his officials to teach in all the towns of Judah. Okay, I think this might be the first recorded short-term missions trip in the Bible. Seriously. Um, it says uh, that um, these officials included, in a bunch of names here, Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, and Micaiah. He sent Levites along with them, including Shemaiah, Nethaniah, uh, oh, I lost it there because of my, um, Zebediah, Ashael, Shimeroth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobajah, and another one, Tub Adonijah. He also sent out the priests, Elishama and Jehoram. And they took copies of the book of the law of the Lord and traveled around through all the towns of Judah teaching the people. Isn't that just so cool? These guys go on a preaching trip as a group, as a short-term missions trip. I just love that about this. So that's the heart of Jehoshaphat. 
Carrying on, verse 10. Then the fear of the Lord fell over all the surrounding kingdoms so that none of them wanted to declare war on Jehoshaphat. Some of the Philistines brought him gifts and silver as tribute and the Arabs brought 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful and built fortresses and stored cities throughout Judah. Okay, this guy's, this guy's good. This is a good king. He knows what he's doing. Now move it up to chapter 18. Chapter 18, starting at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem, and he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. We'll come back to this later, but Ahab is not a good king. Ahab's a bad, bad king. Okay, wicked. A few years later, verse 2, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab, who prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. And they butchered great numbers of sheep, goats, and cattle for the feast. Then Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramoth Gilead. Now, will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? Now, that was a town or a region that the Arameans had captured, and he wanted to get it back. Okay, King Ahab asked, if Israel asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah, Jehoshaphat replied, well, of course, you and I are as one, and my troops are your troops. We'll certainly join you in battle. Jehoshaphat added, but first let's ask what the Lord, let's find out what the Lord says. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, 400 of them, and asked them, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or should I hold back? And they all replied, yes, go right ahead. God will give the victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? And we should ask him the same question. Verse 7. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, There is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat replied, Well, that's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Quick, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah. Oh. Mad, frustrated. So all these prophets come and these guys are dressed in their royal robes and they're ready to hear what all these prophets say and the 400 prophets are like, yeah, go for it. You're going to be totally fine. You're going to totally destroy those Arameans. And and the, the messenger goes to this, this Micaiah and he says, just tell the king what he wants to hear. Just tell the king what he wants to hear. Just tell the king what he wants to hear. Don't make trouble. And the guy's like, I can only say what God wants. So he comes and he says, what about you? He goes, yeah, you're going to be fine. And then the king says, no, no, tell me the truth. Verse 16, Micaiah told him, In a vision I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Verse 17, didn't I tell you the king of Israel exclaimed to Joshua, he never prophesies anything but trouble about me. This is just crazy. So what do they do? They go to battle. They, they go in anywhere. They, they ignore the advice. And they're like, they're going to be, we're going to be fine. So verse 28, chapter 18, go down to verse 28. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, okay, here's how you know you have a bad friend. Okay. As we go into battle, I'll disguise myself so no one will recognize me, but you wear your royal robes. You be the decoy. How about it? <laughs> So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Meanwhile, the king of Aram had issued these orders to his chariot commanders. Attack only the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. So when the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There's the king of Israel, they shouted. But Jehoshaphat called out and the Lord saved him. 
God helped him by turning back the attackers away from him. And as soon as the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel, they stopped chasing him. Verse 33, an Aramean soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops and hit the king of Israel behind the joints of his armor and turned the horses. Get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of the chariot. I'm badly wounded. The the battle raged all day and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans in the evening just as the sun was setting he died. You cannot tell me the scripture does not include some of the best drama ever, ever composed. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's just amazing. Now, verse 19. Okay, so, so Jehoshaphat's been saved by the Lord. And verse 19 says, when Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely home in Jerusalem, Jehu, son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He asked the king, because of what you've done, the the Lord is very angry with you. Even so, there is some good in you, for you've removed the Asher poles throughout the land and you've committed yourself to seeking God. Okay, we're going to take a pause there. We'll talk about this for a little bit. Um, Incredible just events here of Jehoshaphat. We've established that Jephat is is a good king. He really is. Uh, And because he was pursuing God, he had a commitment to spreading his faith. He was wise in his leadership. All that caused him to attract wealth and power. He's really doing well. And and that honestly shouldn't surprise us. Uh, I, I, you may or may not agree with what I'm about to say, but generally speaking, at least here in the West, in America, generally speaking, when you live a life that's consistent with biblical wisdom, right? If you work hard, if you avoid debt, if you resist addictive habits, if you practice generosity, if you're moderate in what you spend on entertainment, if you get out and you enjoy God's creation, if you practice those kinds of biblical patterns, you're going to find yourself living kind of a blessed life and you'll be in a blessed position. Now, I I, I know um, things happen, but when you live like that, you tend to avoid one crisis after another. Right? Some people just live crisis to crisis to crisis. And, and I get it. There's exceptions. There's seasons in our life when, you know, we're in the school of hard knocks. When we just have car breakdown one after another. Or, or you know, there's literal and figurative storms in our life that create havoc. And there's, there's um, you know, our bodies and our minds will let us down. I, I, there's times where we're just, we, layoffs happen. I mean... Bad things happen to good people along the way. But generally speaking, living God's way is good for you. It's good for your life. Now, and that's the story of Japhat. That's what he's doing. But he has this weakness. And this weakness nearly got him killed because he's making these unholy lines. It's the verse on the screen there. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Why should you love? Uh, why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Look. We're called to love the people around us. And, and you can't spread the gospel if you make no friends with people who don't know Jesus yet. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking here about an alliance that says, I'm going to help you without calling you to salvation, without calling you to know the Lord. Kings and politicians always think strategically about how to protect their power and how to protect their kingdom and how to strengthen themselves. So in those days, it was common to arrange marriages to to do just that between leading families. Japhat had his son Jehoram marry Ahab's daughter. Her, his, her name was Athaliah. So he says, I'm going to have my son 
marry your daughter. Now, why would he do that? Because you might think, well, this is a great idea, actually. Why don't we get, you know, these divided kingdoms? Why don't we get them back together? And maybe everything will be good again. And we'll have one big, huge kingdom, um, just like it was under David and Solomon. The problem is that Ahab is a bad king. He's an evil guy. And, and Ahab's married to an even worse woman. I mean, she was wicked, evil, despicable. I mean, every terrible thing you can say, that's Jezebel, the wife of, of Ahab. And Jezebel had taught her daughter, Athaliah, every bad trick in the book. So we, we've got this good King Jehoshaphat having his son marry a very bad lady. And, 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 and the move, of course, is not irrational. I mean, it makes sense from a strategic perspective because the Arameans have been coming in from the north and they're battling Israel. And Japhat's thinking, okay, they're going to eventually make their way down to me. Why don't I just create some alliance there and, and I've got Ahab in my pocket for protection. That'll work. But all of his trust in God, right? His, all his righteous behavior, all his evangelistic zeal, in spite of all that, he trusted in a human political maneuver to secure his reign. Now, why would I mention all that? Why, why would we get into this? It's because of this. I want to tell you there's no shortcut to God's blessing. If you're taking notes today, you can write this down. There's no shortcut to God's blessing. No shortcut. See, sometimes we're tempted to create an alliance that seems expedient but isn't necessarily God's way of doing things. For example, those of you in business... Right? You're going to have trouble if you create partnerships with people who are not interested in pleasing God with their life and with their business because they have a fundamentally different trajectory than you do. Your ultimate trajectory is to please the Lord and theirs is to please themselves. Maybe it's an alliance with a doctor. I'm going to step on a little bit of thin ice here. Um, look, I, I love medicine. Um, my wife's a nurse. Uh, I have pills in my cabinet. Like, I'm not opposed to medication and, and, and uh, the incredible work of our medical community. Okay, so don't, don't put that on me. But sometimes you might be in a situation where your doctor, you know, she gets you to put trust in meds that, that promise relief, but maybe there's a bunch of unholy addictive side effects to that. Or, and even if that's okay, sometimes we run quick to the doctor without even stopping to pray, to ask the Lord. You know, we study this in our in our small group this week. Um, James chapter 5 says, If any of you is, among you is sick, let that person call for the elders of the church. And we'll pray, we'll lay hands on you, we'll anoint you with oil. And the prayer offered, offered in faith will heal. Now, I don't understand why sometimes people are healed and sometimes not healed. I don't I don't get it. There's different ways they're healing. It's a, it's a bigger piece than I understand, but what I know I'm commanded to do is 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 um, lay hands on and pray. At the same time, one of the most prolific uh, writers of the New Testament, Luke, was a physical uh, was a physician. He was a doctor. So I really want you to hear me. I'm saying this in kind of the broader context of that, but I want you to, to be thinking. I want to trust in the Lord first. That's my kind of the primary place of my trust. All right. Um, maybe your alliance is is working for an, a, an employer who expects you to sacrifice your integrity to stay employed. Or maybe your alliance is a romantic relationship that is not honoring to God. Whatever it is, Jehoshaphat learned the hard way that his unholy alliance with Ahab was not the way to God's blessing. 
It even made it difficult for him to hear God's direction in that moment, right? Considering the battle. Hey, let's ask God. Ahab's got one prophet out of 400 that actually trusts in the Lord, that actually is a prophet of the Lord God. I, I wonder if Jehoshaphat at that moment was thinking, I should not be here right now. This is, this is going sideways really fast. So I, I, I just kind of want you to, to grasp that. Now, I'm not saying don't make friends with good people. I'm not saying don't develop business partnerships. I'm not saying don't, you know, get, you know, have good relationships. I'm not saying don't uh, trust your doctor's counsel. What I'm saying is align yourself primarily, first and foremost, with the Lord and what He wants to do in your life. If you keep trying to fix your challenges in ways that God's not leading you to, you will find yourself in crisis after crisis. Now, one last thing about Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. She, she really is bad. She becomes the queen later in the southern kingdom. She becomes the queen mother. Uh, she raised a wicked son who became king for a short time. And when he was killed, she murdered almost the entire royal family. I mean, she's just terrible. So that's where that started, saying, hey, let's get our kids married to each other. And it ended very, very, very badly. All right, I'm going to carry on in Second Chronicles. We'll pick it up in chapter 19, verse 4. Some of you look like you're really shivering right now. It's cold. So um, Bob or somebody, maybe you need to just power down the air conditioning. I turned on the air conditioning a lot this morning because I was really hot. So it's on me. Uh, verse 4, chapter 19, verse 4. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, but he went out among the people traveling from Beersheba, that's way south of Jerusalem, to the hill country of Ephraim, that's just a little bit north of Jerusalem, encouraging the people to return to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges throughout the nation and all the fortified towns, and he said to them, always think carefully before pronouncing judgment. Remember that you do not judge to please people, but to please the Lord. He will be with you when you render the verdict in each case. Fear the Lord and judge with integrity, for the Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. So that's the second short-term mission trip. And that's uh, Jehoshaphat going on that one himself. Now let's move all the way to chapter 20. We've just established he's just a good king in so many different ways. Chapter 20, verse 1 says, After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at Hazazon Tamar. This is another name for Engedi. So those of you who have visited Israel, you remember where you were along the, the Dead Sea and Engedi is down from Jerusalem. Engedi is the place that we're, we're known where, where David refreshed himself. There's water there. So it's a great spot for an army to come resupply all their water needs. And then there's this pat, this, uh, um, pass that comes out from there, the pass of Ziz that, that can take you up into Jerusalem. It's really a strategic spot, um, for the military. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Uh, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard of the temple of the Lord. And he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Then he goes on. He just continues in his prayer of worship 
crying out to the Lord. And verse 12 says this, verse 12. Oh, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking for you to help. Ever been in that spot where you've said, I don't know what to do. I do not know what to do. God, I need you now. I need you to answer. And then uh, picking up in verse 15. So, uh, um, chapter 20, verse Chapter 20, verse 15. He, uh, a man named um, Jehaziel, just the spirit of the Lord comes on him and he speaks. And he says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jer- Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. And verse 20 says that early the next morning, the army of Judah went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Verse 21, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Same thing that we sang this morning. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures Forever. And at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. And after they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. And that goes on. They just kind of completely destroy uh, themselves. And then verse 30, chapter 20, verse 30 says this, so uh, Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Jehoshaphat ruled over the land of Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother was Azabah, the daughter of Shilhi. Jehoshaphat was a good king following the ways of his father Asa. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Okay, all is well. One last little episode. Go down to verse 35. Sometime later... King Jehoshaphat of Judah made an alliance with King Ahaziah of Israel. That's uh, Ahab's offspring, Ahab's son, who was very wicked. Together they built a fleet of trading ships at the port of Ezion-Geber. That's on the, on the Red Sea. Uh, then Eleazar, son of Dodavahu from Marishah, pro- prophesied against Jehoshaphat. And he said, because you've allied yourself with King Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy your work. So the ships met with disaster and never put out to sea. Um, we know from the first Kings passage that they were gold trading ships. The plan was to go get gold and trade with stuff so, so they could enrich themselves that way. Okay, so we've got this amazing king continuing to be blessed by God, leading the people in worship, just all these amazing things, teaching the people. Once again, a bad alliance gets them in trouble. And, and it's closely related to our first point. But if you're taking notes, write this one down. There's no shortcut to God's promises. There's no shortcut to God's promises. Well, what I mean by that? Well, throughout history, God had promised Israel that if they would be faithful, he would keep his promises of things like prosperity and wealth and influence 
and peace. All those promises were coming to them. The prophet Isaiah, who, who wrote years later, but he, he spoke, for example, um, the, the kinds of promises of God. Verse um, Isaiah 66, verse 2. I think I've got this one on screen. It goes like this. This is God speaking. My hands have made both heaven and earth. Okay, and aside for a moment, throughout Scripture, when you read through Scripture, watch how frequently God is reaffirmed again and again as the creator of all things. It is, there's nowhere you can go in Scripture to escape the fact that God is the creator. Okay, my hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite, that means uh, crushed hearts who tremble at my word. And then verse 12 goes on to say this. This is what the Lord says. I will give Jerusalem a river of peace and prosperity. The wealth of the nations will flow to her. It's an amazing promise. It's just it's so fantastic. And uh, you know, you've got the promises there of peace and prosperity. If only they would trust God and be obedient to him. So think about this. Joshua's first alliance with Ahab. What was that for? That was for peace. That was for peace. That was to, to keep things even between them and, and hedge against the Arameans. But also, Jehoshaphat's father had been attacked by the northern kingdom under a guy named Basha. Basha had, had, had come against Judah. And so, um, you know, Jehoshaphat's thinking, like, those, our relatives up there are kind of unstable and kind of dangerous and kind of reckless and unpredictable. I just, you know, I just make peace with him. I make an alliance and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be safe. I'm looking for peace. God's promise, but getting it his own way. And, and and yet, in spite of that disaster, nearly took cost his life, Japhat makes another alliance, this time with Ahaziah. And, and again, you can kind of understand it because Ahaziah is his son's brother-in-law, his daughter-in-law's brother. Now, it's all in the family. It's just like, well, this makes sense. We could just, we could figure this out. They built those ships. They're going to trade for gold. Meanwhile, those ships are somewhere on the bottom of the Red Sea floor. Right? It was a, it was a get rich my way scheme. In an attempt to get the promise of prosperity, but to get it in his own way. I don't know if you've ever tried that. Try to make a deal to prosper without asking God about it first. Try to make a deal to get peace in your life without seeking God first. There's no shortcut to God's promises. God's Peace and prosperity, his promises to his, his people, will be kept by God in his time and in his way. But when we try to do that, like Jehoshaphat did, it turns into a disaster. How about you? God has promised you, God has promised you the, the prosperity of meeting all your needs. Everything that you need, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches, his abundance. God will meet your needs if you will trust him. He'll supply you with peace if you'll bring your concerns to him with thankfulness. Don't shortcut your way to these things. And that's even the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that that when we're honest, we admit, hey, in my own way, in my own behavior, in my own sin, I'm separated from God. And so we try to fix it by being good or being religious or, or, or being successful or whatever it is. But we can't shortcut our way to salvation. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. God made a way for you to be in relationship with God and exchange your old dead life for a new life in Christ. Let me, let me, we've talked about shortcuts, but there is one more thing I need to say about shortcuts. And there is a shortcut 
to God's victory. There is a shortcut to God's victory. See, back in, in chapter 20, when the Moabites and the Ammonites are coming against, uh, come against them, and it's just looking terrible for Jehoshaphat and all his people, um, he, he had to have been thinking, okay, I, this seems to not be a good situation. I, you know, um, his dad, when something like that had happened, his dad had raided the Federal Reserve and hired outside troops to come and protect them, and that was his downfall. Jehoshaphat did not make his dad's mistake. He said he led in what? Fasting and worship and prayer. And when it was time to face the enemy, Second Chronicles twenty twenty one. we've got this one on the screen, says this, after consulting with the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. How'd you like that, singers? You get to, you get to go first. <laughs> you get to go first. Walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Uh, this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. But they didn't even have to fight. They didn't have to fight. God caused the enemy to turn on each other. We, we saw in the, in the passage. They just watched it happen. They cleaned up the mess. Well, they cleaned up the plunder is what they cleaned up. There's so much stuff. It took them three days to gather it all, it says in the, in the passage. Reminds me that Jesus was in the grave for three days, gathering up the plunder of souls, taking from the devil um, what, what he had stolen away from God. They worshiped God. They worshiped God after gathering the valuables. See that in verse 26. So their faith expressed in fasting and expressed in prayer and expressed in song, their faith was the shortcut to victory. Now we're sometimes told that praise and worship is, is, is what wins the battle. And in a way, it does because it accomplishes something in the heavenly realms that that um, you know nothing else can. There's something about declaring and worship um, that, that accomplishes a spiritual victory, but it does so because singing praise, bringing our worship to God, is the best way. It's probably the very best way to proclaim or to declare to speak our faith. There's something about singing out that causes your faith to well up. And it's a way that you can express, I believe in Jesus. I believe. I express my faith in Him. Vocalizing praise and worship declares our faith. And that's why there's other ways that the Bible tells us to praise, to clap, to raise our hands, to bow down. All these physical expressions in worship because every every time I do this in worship, what's it doing? It's helping me express, yes, my faith is in you, Lord. That's what it is. It's, 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 just, it's just a surrender to Him. It's not a show. It's an expression of faith. And faith is the, the shortcut to victory. I like this king. I like Jehoshaphat. I, I know what it is to attempt shortcuts to blessing and to the promises of God. I, I've done that. I've panicked. I've, I've tried to engineer my own solutions to problems. But I love that ultimately Jehoshaphat's heart was a heart after God like his forefather David. And that crisis moment, it showed up in faith, in prayer, in worship, in fasting. This coming January, we're, we're going to gather with um, the other churches across our city and declare the 21 days of prayer and fasting. And um, 
I'm going to ask that we even just keep our calendar, church calendar clear for those 21 days. Because I want you to have the opportunity to participate in that way. There will be a, a prayer and worship service in a different church every night of those 21 days. I'm going to encourage us to at least participate in a few of those. As we gather with the city and say, God, we are expressing our faith in you to bring renewal. To, to, to bring unity in our churches, to bring a, a revival across this land, to, to, to uh, make your glory known in our midst. It's coming up in January. I'm going to invite the worship team because they're going to lead us in, in one last song. And it's a song that, that does express faith for those moments that seem urgent or seem hopeless or seem too stressful to get through. Maybe you're super stressed about your kids. Or, or your grandkids, or maybe, maybe your finances are a mess, or maybe you just really, really, really need a job. This thing's gone on long enough. Maybe your health is a wreck. Maybe you're, maybe you've been praying and praying and praying for the salvation of a, of a loved one, or a family member, or a colleague, and, and you're just wanting them to come to, to Christ. Maybe your relationships are, are not good right now. And there's some place in your life where you need to express faith in the Lord to be the one who rescues. And the faith to believe that the God who delivered Jehoshaphat is also the God that can deliver you. I'm going to invite you to stand as we, as we sing. I'm just going to pray. And um, God, we say we, um, we love doing things on our own. At least I do. I, it's easy just to ignore you and just carry on my own way and try to fix my own problems and create my own alliances and you almost become an afterthought. Lord, that's not how we want to live. We, we don't want to live in panic and crisis even when there, we are in a storm, even when we are in a difficult time, even when we, we don't see the solution, even when that army is huge and is just bearing down on us. God, we don't want to live in panic. We want to live in peace with you. We want to live live in trust in you. And God, right now, there's some of us that are, 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 are thinking about something this week that we just don't want to face it. Or maybe there's something that we feel like we've prayed about a million times and you haven't come through the way we thought you would come through. God, we want to hold you to your promise that you will provide all that we need. That's your promise of prosperity. We want to hold to your promise that, that you provide peace when we, when we bring our concerns to you with thankfulness. God, we, we want to cling to that. And God, we want to express our faith in you. And God, I'm asking you to grow that faith. Lord, that you would enlarge that faith. Some of us have just kind of gone status quo for so long. We, that's all we know. And I'm asking God that you would grow it, enlarge it, expand it. Lord, that we would have the faith to believe that we could share the share the gospel with a, a friend, a co-worker, a, a family member. God, do that in my own heart. God, the faith to believe that, that you're going to answer that prayer for our loved one, for our kids, our grandkids, our siblings. God, grow our faith. And God, as we sing this song, would you expand it, cause it to well up so that we become a, a place that's a faith place. A rescuing place. God, that we're fully alive in you. Let us encounter you in this moment. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence.